There has to be a mission and vision for people to commit to that is compelling and where people can see that the impact of their work really makes a difference, both to the organization and someone else's lives in some way, right? To be able to think about the impact of your work outside of yourself. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have an extraordinary guest to share with you today. Karen Walker is a consultant, author, and advisor to CEOs and senior leaders. She helps her clients grow their companies with successful outcomes that include IPOs, acquisitions, market share increases, and significant leadership development. Her clients include Inc. 500 startups and Fortune 500 firms. Her work helps senior leaders create internal strategies that support their organization's external growth. And she's the author of the recently published book, No Dumbing Down, a no-nonsense guide for CEOs on organizational growth. Prior to launching her consultancy, Karen was employee number 104 at Compaq Computer, then the fastest-growing company in America and the fastest, the $1 billion in revenue. In her 14 years as VP in operating services, she helped spur the creation of more than $15 billion in value. She resides in Jupiter, Florida, although she can most often be found aloft in seat to see. Karen, I love that. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Richard. I am quite happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So there's so many things we could talk about, and, and I'm very interested, particularly about the Compaq part, because that, that company was legendary in its day. But I want to go back in time, because everybody has a story that really helps shape who they are and why they do what they do. So take us through what were some of the really significant things that happened to you along your journey that helped guide you to where you are today? Oh, what a great place to start. Thanks for that. I think the, th- the events leading up to Compaq um, are sort of the, the nut of what, we, what I'd like to share in terms of my story. So I'm an engineer by degree, uh, and then I've been working now with, uh, with CEOs on things that are more behavioral, I'd say, than efficiency focused the last few years. But in my lead up to Compaq, I was working at a Fortune 100, maybe a Fortune 50 company at that time. And I just started seeing people walk out the door and go to some new little startup. And they were the people in the organization that I really thought a lot of. They were the leaders, this large company. And I wondered why they were leaving. And I had a perfectly okay job. I was getting promotions every six months and I was doing interesting work and um, sort of working above my, my pay grade, if you will. But I could see sort of the enthusiasm walking out the door with these people. And so I called to find out what that was all about. I think the interesting part of the story is part of what led me to this book, No Dumbing Down, and that is that I could see in the big organization, a lot of people around me were showing up at work for the benefits. And there's, I mean, those are not bad people. You know, there's nothing wrong with wanting and needing benefits for your family. 
but they weren't there for the same reason that I was there for. And maybe they had been originally, but that time had passed. And when I got to Compaq, I could see that people were, um, were focused on sort of making this new exciting thing happen. We were all able to work sort of at and beyond what we thought we could do. And it was, um, it was through that experience that I really began to understand this concept of dumbing down and how it happens. It's sort of insidious in large organizations. And so what you're talking about, Karen, is you're talking in large part about the culture of a company, a top-down culture. So in your opinion, how do we develop that? How do we develop a culture in, a, in an organization to where instead of people just showing up for the paycheck or the 401k or the perks, they're actually there and committed to the mission and purpose of the organization? So I think two things have to happen. One is there has to be a mission and vision for people to commit to that is compelling and where people can see that the impact of their work really makes a difference, both to the organization and someone else's lives in some way, right? To be able to think about the impact of your work outside of yourself. Um, and so that has to happen. The, the CEO and the senior leaders of the organization, I think that's a primary task is making sure that that exists and that it exists in a form that's uh, where people are walking the talk around that. I think too many times we go into organizations where either that doesn't exist or it used to exist and now it's just words on the poster on the wall. So it really is all about the behaviors in the organization that both get encouraged and get rewarded. I think that makes a difference. It makes a lot of sense. And certainly, you know, going back to Compaq, Compaq broke a lot of ground in its day. So talk to us about some of the more salient experiences you took from there. And what were the lessons, both positive and negative, from your time at Compaq? Uh, well, it was amazing. And one of the things to know before we started the comeback story is just that we didn't know what was coming. When I walked into that building with those people, we hadn't shipped any product yet. And we were, our, we were going up against IBM, which was the behemoth. And we had no idea what was going to be coming at us and that we would do $111 million in our first year because we weren't equipped for that. Had we you know, had we known, we might have done some things differently, but as it was, it was just scramble all the time. It was like, it was an entrepreneurial dream, right, as you look back on it, where people could really work to the full potential. Uh, there wasn't a lot of concern about people working in the white space. We just did what needed to get done to make the product happen. And uh, it was a really uh, amazing environment to get to work in, both individually, because I could stretch and grow and uh, try new things and Perfection wasn't the goal. It was uh, get things good enough so that we can move on to the next really important thing. But also, um, not only individually, but also to be able to sort of revel in the success of the company and that my team had. So I'd say a couple of the big experiences there. Um, the first thing, just in terms of sort of my journey and learning to grow and develop, was so I was 25 years old and I was we were working in an organization that I started as an uh, individual contributor. And I grew my team to about 300 people and thousands of contractors and consultants all over the world. But I remember the first board meeting that I went to very early on. I was 25 years old and it was a board room full of uh, venture capitalists with big names. It was Seven Rosen, which was the big name at the time. And I had to ask for $25 million to get a project done, which was a lot of money (laughs) back in the day. I was nervous and, you know, I had my slides and I had my case for it. And I, I got to the place the board meeting was being held and I 
they were running late. So I ended up sort of pacing in the hallway and sort of waiting and getting more and more nervous. And eventually the door opened and I was ushered in. And, and I, I saw that uh, our chairman, uh, Ben Rosen, sitting back in his chair and he had his feet propped up on the table and he had shoes off. So he was like as completely relaxed as he could have been. And that really helped me take a breath, made my pitch, asked for my $25 million uh, and kept talking. And eventually uh, Ben Rosen said to me, he said, Karen, you got the order. You can stop talking now. And so <laughs> it, was a, it was a big lesson for me about uh, paying attention to what's going on in the room um, and how that could both uh, help me. And if I didn't do it, it could hurt me because I kept talking. Um, but we, it was, it was just amazing. I don't know what else to say about that. The company was founded on the premise of being a good place to work. And so there was walking the talk. Um, our president uh, and founder, CEO, Rod Canyon, was one of those individuals that I think comes along only once or twice in a lifetime for anyone. He really set the stage for all of us in terms of um, the culture of the organization, sort of weeding out any whiff of politics, but making sure that we did the right things for the right thing's sake, not because it helped us look good in the organization or something like that. And when you went in there, and you, you know, you're talking about you know the 25 million from venture capitalists and whatnot. Yeah. What year was that? My gosh, that would have been in 1983, probably 83, 84. So really, the the PC industry was beginning its its transition at that point in time. Yes. So the IBM uh, PC was out and it was in corporations. The Apple had a computer, but not used much as for business, mostly for creatives and designers. Um, and Compaq's claim to fame was that we had the first, quote, IBM compatible portable computer. And so that meant that we were no longer tied to our desk. So there's a, a really good book out called Open by Rod Canyon and uh, also a, a fun movie called Silicon Cowboys that was made about the Compaq story that you can get on Netflix and you can also get it on iTunes. Uh, but it's it's the story about how without Compaq, we wouldn't have these hype, these iPhones today because we really broke the system of contained software and moved things into the open era of software, uh, which allowed us to, to get to the point that we are today. And, and certainly, and as I mentioned when I read your bio, Compaq rose to tremendous heights, the, the quickest company ever to break a billion dollars mm-hmm. in revenue. Things started to change, though, for Compaq. And ultimately, if my memory serves correctly, they were absorbed by Hewlett Packard. Is that correct? Yes. Well done. Uh, I left just prior to the uh, absorption by, by HP. What occurred at Compaq, I was there for 14 years. The company got bigger and bigger, right, as we had more and more success. Um, but the, the turning point was when the founder slash CEO was fired and replaced uh, with a new CEO. And that occurred because the market changed. Um, all of a sudden, you know, we went from buying computers through stores like Computerland uh, to people uh, buying computers on their own. Um, the, the, the Dell computer uh, was formed in Austin, Texas, right down the road from us. We were in Houston. And um, all of a sudden, people were uh, less afraid of using computers and um, more willing to buy computers themselves and to explore them themselves. And so our whole distribution channel had to change. Uh, And there was a big push for Compact to come out with a low-cost PC, which was not our strong suit. Um, It's certainly something that our uh, CEO uh, was less eager to do, I think, than the board. 
Um, anyway, uh, he was uh, he was let go. There was open weeping in the hallways, uh, which was an amazing thing for a company that size. And then um, the culture changed because the the purpose of the company changed. No longer was it you know just a good place to work um, and to do amazing things, but um, the behaviors that began to be rewarded were very different. And I think the things that made Compaq really special um, changed at that moment. And as a result, uh, the company went on to have a few successful years, but as you say, was ultimately uh, subsumed by, by HP. So looking back, what are the big mm-hmm. lessons? And, and particularly for, for those listening, a, a lot of people listening to this are entrepreneurs growing their own organizations. Uh, what are some of the the warnings and lessons that you would say were important to take from what happened to Compaq? Yeah, well, I would say, uh, and these are outlined in uh, in my in my book because it is uh, really based on the lessons from Compaq and how I've used that with uh, other CEOs over the last couple of decades. But the the first thing that happens is that the teams really begin to dumb down. And what I mean by that is, you think about a team; it can only work at the level of the lowest performing member of the team. And so high performers come into a team and when they're allowed to dumb down, they can't work at their full potential. So you, you begin to get teams that, um, that have meetings that are not as productive or people are not as productive as they could be. So that's the first thing that began to happen was, was um, the whole ethos um, around uh, team and your ability to really be productive changed. Um, the second thing is that we ended up with processes and tools that were stuck I think about this sort of this continuum between startup and grown-up. And we think about that as being a one-way street. We go from startup to grown-up. But I think what, what really can happen if we shift our mindset is that we need to pick the place on that continuum that's appropriate for the situation we're dealing with. So Compact, for example, was started as a, uh, with the idea that it was a big company in the formative stages. So we put a lot of processes in place that you wouldn't normally find in a company their size. But uh, we were able to use sort of startup responses to situations when we needed them. But what happens over time with most big companies, and certainly happened with Compaq in those later years, is that we get stuck in process. Uh, and that process slows us down. It, uh, people begin to rely on the process as a decision-making tool rather than deciding what really the right answer is in some cases. Um, and I think that really um, helped us slow down, we began to lose our agility, and we became unresponsive to sort of the status quo of the business around us. I think we also began to lose our ability to handle unexpected events, which happens, you know, in business all the time. There's a lot of change that goes on. Um, But as the company got larger and people got further and further away from that that vision and mission we were talking about earlier, um, to where they were just focused on their own sort of piece of the puzzle, um, I believe that the, we began to take turns uh, in terms of strategy and corporate direction that didn't keep us uh, where we needed to be from a um, critical strategy standpoint. And then um, lastly, as the company got larger, we ended up uh, in many ways focused on the short term and the urgent rather than more focused on the long term uh, and the important. And I think that's also something that happens as companies grow. And, and hey, I get it. It's not easy to run a company with 17,000 people. It's certainly not the same thing as running a company with 100, uh, which is where we started. But I think those four areas are, are really where we began to sort of lose, lose a half a step and then eventually a step, uh, which allowed us to be 
uh, acquired. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. There's a lot to unpack in what you just said, and I, I couldn't help. You know, this is such an interesting case study in Compact because you know it was obviously you mentioned things like the emergence of Dell, which changed the paradigm in terms of how that industry did business with its customer. And yet nobody saw the writing on the wall, you know, even though you know, you're, you're, like you said, right down the street in Houston, you know, when Dell planted their flag, they changed the game. And you know, the, of course, the internet made that all possible. So what would you say, you know, to, to the person listening to this and you know, the the world of business is more dynamic now than it's ever been. Things are changing at breakneck speed. How do we find those signs? That, and what I'm asking more specifically is, you know, what's the best way that a business, in your opinion, can have a pulse on the marketplace so that they're not in this reactionary position like Compaq was? Yeah, so I think about that as um, setting a strategy to play bumper cars, because the one thing you know is things are not going to go the way you expect them to, uh, and that you don't have enough information today to be making decisions about what's going to happen months down the road. And in technology today, it literally is months down the road. I think trying to set a, a, a year-long strategy and not checking in with it frequently during the course of the year is, um, is almost foolish today. Uh, but I think about uh, sort of setting up guardrails um, and so you set your strategy, you figure out what those most important factors are, you think about what some of the wild cards could be that you're not expecting, and you monitor those things. And if things are going better than you expect, um, you're going to bounce off sort of this upper guardrail that you've uh, set for yourself in terms of what your expectations are. And when you get there, you have to decide if the organization is aligned to carry on at that higher level or if it can go even higher have a conscious sort of choice point at, at that juncture. Alternately, and this is what happened to Compaq uh, in the later days, like when Dell came along, is that you would go sort of below your projections and you begin to bounce off the lower guardrail for your set for yourself. And that's at that point that you have to decide, okay, what am I going to do with my strategy, with my organization, uh, so that I'm able to, to sort of right ship and either get back up on plan or resize the organization to deal with the new reality. But I think the most important thing in terms of answering your questions is to know that things won't go exactly like you think they will and to have a plan in place to deal with either better or worse than expected uh, responses that you're getting for your sales. Excellent. And, and Karen, I know you've teased it a couple of times, your, your new book, which is out there just now, No Dumbing Down and No Nonsense Guide for CEOs on organization growth. So you you went into a bit of why you wrote the book. And obviously, this is recapping some of the things that went on at Compaq and some of these key lessons that you took from it. But let's, let's take a few minutes and take a little bit deeper dive into 
what a reader is going to get out of this book. Oh, yes. Thanks for that. So the whole idea behind No Dumbing Down is that it's a series of strategies that I found that made Compact successful. Now, this is in conjunction with a good product market fit. If you don't have a good product market fit, nothing else matters really. On the other hand, if you have good product market fit and you do not have these strategies in place internally, you won't be able to take advantage of that product market fit and you'll either leave um, productivity on the table, you'll leave profits on the table, or you will not be able to sort of take advantage of that product market fit. The both talks about my time at Compact, but also the work that I've done with CEOs and senior leaders over the last two decades. And the reason that I work with that segment of the market, because you might think, why would you limit yourself to this small set of all the people that could be buying and reading the book, is that those are the people that I know can make the change in the organization. They have the breadth in terms of their view. Uh, They have compensation that that is wired to help them look at the long term. And they also um, have a a team, right? A senior leadership team that's able to work with each other to make sure that they stay in alignment, that you don't end up with your marketing and sales uh, running away, way in front of what the organization is able to deliver, um, so that you end up with really sort of a forgotten promise to your clients because sales and marketing are delivering the promising you can deliver. Uh, when in fact the rest of the organization can't. So making sure that all those things stay in alignment. So how to stay in alignment um, is really the focus of these of these five different strategies. And then finally, um, I think something that uh, oftentimes gets overlooked is the is the so what factor. So you, now you have all these strategies about what you need to be doing in your organization, and you sort of like when you leave a training session, right? And you're all pumped up because you've got some new information. You have good intention. Um, and you get back to your desk and there is all the email that was there when you left plus what came in and all the stuff in your inbox that came in and you don't have time to do anything with it. And so, you know, you look up six weeks later and you say, well, so what, right? That was an interesting book. That was an interesting uh, training that I went through. Uh, but so what? Nothing changed in my life. And so the, the final part of this book is all about accountability and how to hold yourself accountable how to hold your team accountable, and how to have the team hold itself accountable for actually putting some of these strategies into place. Because without that, uh, instead of um, being a, a really good no-nonsense guide to guiding growth, uh, it ends up being an interesting read, but so what? And this book, this is I know that much of the knowledge and experience that you speak of in this book is pulled from your time in that Fortune 500 world. But is this a book for people who are just starting an organization or, or really do you, should you have a, a decent sized organization established before diving into this? The answer to that question is yes, right? It's for both. Um, the book is written primarily for CEOs and senior leaders, um, but it's also written for uh, people in the organization. And I think this is critical who need to understand what's important to the, to the senior leaders in the organization. Uh, there's another, there's a great book by uh, Ram Sharam called What the CEO Wants You to Know, which I've, I've used a lot. But I, I think knowing what it is that the senior leaders need to do in order to create this internal alignment um, will help you, whoever you are uh, working in an organization, do your job better and in a, in a way that is more aligned with what the organization needs. Um, I've worked with a number of Fortune 100 companies, but I also have several clients right now who are in the Inc. 500, in fact, a couple in the Inc. 100, 
So it's my clients tend to be all focused on growth. So if you're a CEO, senior leader, or working in an organization that is growing or wants to grow, I think these things will stand you in good stead. Perfect. And you know, I wanted, I know we don't have time to go into all five, but you, you've mentioned you know, a number of times that the strategies that this book outlines. Take us through just briefly one of the strategies and how that can be implemented in an organization. Great. Well, if I'm to pick, um, I'll choose No Dumbing Down since uh, that's the, the lead strategy and the one of the title. Um, and the way that I began to think about this was just through my own experience and that of my clients. And, and it's something we've all experienced. And it's sort of one of the reasons in organizations that these internal strategies get misaligned and misfire. And it's what I think about as teamwork as usual. Um, and we've all experienced it, right? You you. You go to a big company meeting and the CEO stands up and says, yes, we're not going to work as teams. And you get hats and t-shirts and sort of how that's going to work is explained. And you go back to your desk and you show up for work the next day and you're a little excited because now things are going to be different. And then, and you think maybe this time, you know, we'll actually be able to work with that excitement and passion and really using all of our talents. And then, you know, maybe at the beginning, it is a little better because everybody shows up with that same intention. Then you know, bit by bit that falls away. Then we go back to teamwork as usual. And with teamwork as usual, when you've had that expectation, it's sort of like uh, if you think about a failed change, right? Which you would know certainly from your work, uh, Dr. Richard. People get their hopes up and then the hopes are dashed and your productivity can actually go down uh, because you've you've had an expectation that things are going to be better and different. And so you you stop sort of putting that extra level of enthusiasm and effort into what's going on. Um, And so if you think about this, I go into organizations now and I say, so talk to me about the worst teams and best teams you've been on. And I know 90% of the answers I'm going to get back, right? So people know what is, you know, what's a bad team look like and people know what's a good team look like because we've all experienced it in different times and ways in our our past. Uh, But we don't know how to get from bad team to good team. We just know the difference when we're in it. And so I would say sort of the primary causes of dumbing down are, first of all, just just blind spots, right? It's like the frog in the boiling pot of water that, that we, you don't wake up one day and say, okay, my team just went from great to, to bad. It happens over time. And so um, just this blind spot that things are happening. Um, secondly, something I call over-applied individualism. So I grew up in Texas. And let me tell you, there was a lot of individualism, both in me and in my past. Uh, and I'm you know, I'm proud of that. It helped make me who I am today. But when you over-apply individualism and you begin to, to really maximize for the individual, whether it's you personally or your function, rather than optimizing for the whole, so you maximize rather than optimize, that will... Um, definitely uh, move you in the directions of worse, worse teams because you're, you're then just focused on um, your individual good and not the good for the whole. Um, and I think the, the third thing really has to do with what I call cultural constraints. And that is if you're going to work in a, uh, an organization that, that cherishes teams for what you're able to get out of them and the, the great uh, leaps in productivity that come when they're working well, you have to have a CEO and a senior team who believe in that too and who reward those kinds of behaviors. Because if they're only rewarding individual behaviors and only working actually even at the senior level as individuals, um, it's just not possible to develop sort of the trust and respect 
that's necessary for high-performing teams or the sort of shared sense of shared sense of purpose uh, that's coupled with this alignment of action I mentioned earlier. Great stuff. And I just want to clarify something just for the for the purposes of the language that you used. Mm-hmm. Maximizing versus optimizing sounds to me like focusing on yourself versus taking those strengths you have and applying them more towards a team environment. Am I on point there? You are. So that's my industrial engineering background coming out. <laughs> uh, that, um, that when we maximize any one of the variables, right? If you're only focused on the one variable, in this case, my individual performance or maybe just the, the performance of my function, um, and you don't optimize for the whole, right? That's when we get out of alignment. And so you may have sort of the very best development uh, possible, right? Your engineering and development team may produce amazing products, but if they're not what the client needs and the rest of the organization is able to support, for example, uh, then you're not optimizing for the whole. You're not optimizing either for the company or for the client. And I see that over and over again. In fact, I was working with a chief product officer uh, last month and and he said, I can't tell you how many times I've said this to my CEO. I am not going to, des- I'm not going to design and develop a product that doesn't come from a business reason. Because otherwise, I just end up with this beautiful technology and nothing to do with it. And that's a waste of everybody's time and resources. And uh, God knows we don't have time for that today. Makes sense. Thank you for that clarification. And I want to thank you also for coming on the show. This was a really really neat interview this week. And, and I think a lot of people had heard of Compact but didn't really know, you know how big they got and, and certainly how hard they fell. So thank you for coming on today. And as you know, though, I, I want to wrap up by asking you a question that I ask every one of my mm-hmm. guests who comes on. And that, Karen, what is your biggest helping, the single most important piece of information you'd like for somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? Yeah. Well, if I have to pick one, I would say just both from my own experience and that of my clients, that finding a way to connect to something and finding this as early as you can in your career, to connect to something outside yourself, right? Something bigger than your small self, uh, which often is this, uh, in the work world, it's this vision and mission of the organization. It can be the impact that your work is, is having, but connecting to something outside of this sort of individual uh, small self. And that will lead you to what I think is most important, and that is thinking bigger. Thinking bigger about the impact that you can have, thinking bigger about what's possible for you and for your organization. Uh, and in order to do that, you have to really uh, work on getting rid of your blind spots, uh, on understanding your strengths, and really uh, connecting with what's outside yourself. Well said. Karen, where can people find you? Uh, well, Karen Walker US is where I am on all the socials. Uh, so it's just Karen Walker US, all traditional spelling. Uh, my website is karenwalker.us. Um, and certainly if you uh, go to nodumbingdown.com, that'll link you directly to the part of my website that uh, has to do with the book. Fantastic. Karen, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was great having you on. Terrific. Thanks so much, Dr. Richard. Enjoyed it. Absolutely. And I want to thank each and every one of you as well who tuned in and listened to today's episode. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review because that's what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 